Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedikin. Let's start out by thanking our Patreon contributors for the past week. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And this week we have Allie, Cassie, Anna, Callie, NT, Kristen, Emma, Samantha, Anna, Ms. Gorman, Ava, Kristen, Farida, and Abby. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon member, go to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. We have a ton of bonus content there. So if you run out of content on our main feed... Go to Patreon. We have a ton of stuff there. Hours. Hours and hours. Like multiple hours. Yes. Okay. So I'm really excited about today's show. Back in July, I saw that Danny Trejo had dropped his new memoir, and I wanted to cover him soon. I knew that. I just didn't know when I would get to it, but I'm getting it to it today. (laughs) I think I talked about him on a mini recently. There was a story from the book where he had encountered Manson in prison, and we talked about that a bit. Uh, So I think most of us know a bit about his rise from ex-con to one of Hollywood's most beloved actors and taco and donut makers. Uh, (laughs) And, and, And I would say we've talked about Danny Trejo quite a bit on the show because both of us are big fans of his. Yes. And... When I lived in Hollywood, we would order from Trejo's Tacos all the time. Yes, and go to the donuts. And get the donuts when we could, yeah. Yes. So I really didn't know, though, the level of all of the shit he had been through his whole life, like starting as a young child. Uh, His story is remarkable, and the rare time I actually find someone inspirational... (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he actually is inspirational. Yeah. Uh, and he's, like, a good person. He dedicates his book to the incarcerated. Aww. And uh, he has, like, words of hope and encouragement for him, for them. I just love him. He's such a he's great so guy. Great. What's the name of his memoir? I'm going to tell you in a second. Hold your horses, oh. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to skimp on any of the juicy details. So this will be in two parts. Now, even though I'm going to give you a lot here, definitely go get his book so you can hear it all in his words and support this lovely man because he should be supported. Absolutely. Uh, His book is called Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood, and it is co-written with his longtime friend and actor, Donald Logue. I love Donald Logue. He co-wrote this book with him. That's so cool. Yeah, but it definitely sounds like Danny Trejo, so I don't know how he helped him. Maybe just kind of be like, how about you do this here and this here? Maybe he just... I wouldn't be surprised if Danny's like, you helped me so much, I'm giving you credit. Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? I mean, maybe Donald Logue is just a better structure and helped him with that Yeah, I don't know. This is all speculation, but I thought that was cute. That's nice. So Danny Trejo was born on May 16th, 1944 in Echo Park, 
home to the Hollywood Crime Scene Studios, That's where right. we are right now. His mother is named Dolores King, and she had an affair while her husband was away fighting in World War II in the Pacific. Oh. The person she had an affair with is Danny's father, Dionisio Trejo, who was a construction worker at the time. They met at a dance hall in Highland Park, which is where I live, in 1943. Danny describes them as being zoot suitors, and his dad was a particular type of zoot suitor, a pachuco. Oh. So, hey, pachuco, the song from The Mask. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, I, uh, we, will do, we, we have an upcoming zoot suit episode. Oh, really? It, it's in the works. Okay. Now, a pachuco is basically... If you give this guy shit, he's going to kick your fucking ass. Like, it's a tough guy uh, type guy. Now, obviously, this is a chaotic scene to be born into. And, I mean, Danny's mom basically can't deny she had a baby with another guy because her husband's not in the fucking country. Right. uh, So, speaking of Pachuco moves, after Danny is born, his parents are at a bar drinking when a man grabs Dolores' ass. Danny's pop stabs the man, and they flee flee to San Antonio to escape the police. This is when he's an infant, a newborn. Wow. A year later, they return so Dionisio can face his charges. And at the time, he begs his mom to hire an attorney for him, saying if she did, he would never go back to jail for the rest of his life. And he follows through on never being arrested again and basically lives an upstanding life working in construction. Uh, Danny thinks that this is why his father found him to be such a disappointment because he's like, I got, you know, my shit cleaned up. Why can't you get your shit cleaned up? Uh, but Danny's father, just because he didn't get arrested, doesn't mean he wasn't doing arrestable offenses. <laughs> he just wasn't getting caught anymore. Right. So he's being smarter about it. Now, when Danny is three, he suffers an accident when he's in the care of his mom. Basically, she had set up a bathtub in the backyard, which Danny describes as a barrio swimming pool. He is just a toddler at the time, and he slips in this bathtub and sprains his arm. So pretty minor injury, but his dad loses his shit over this injury. He threatens her husband. She's still married to this guy, the other guy, and they're not living together as man and wife, the parents. Uh, He threatens to kill her, and he takes the boy and bans Danny's mom from his life forever. What? Yeah. So uh, he's a... Look, the Trejo men, and I'm going to get into more stories, they're kind of the definition of toxic masculinity. These are all kind of uh, tough guys. Danny's father is... I'm probably borderline abusive. (laughs) Like he does some things that are definitely not what you would discipline a child with today. No, I'm sorry. Just to clarify, Danny's biological father there, he's living with his mom. Okay. Up to the age of three, he's with his mom. At the age of three, the bio dad takes him. That's what I thought. Yes. Okay. He gets remarried to a woman named Alice who basically raises Danny as her own. He knows about the mom because the father badmouths the mom his entire childhood. Okay. Okay. The grandmother, the the mother of Danny's father, is also a big influence in his life. She cares for him a lot, as well as all of his cousin cousins. Like he has a he has like a group of girl cousins that he's with around. He's around uh, a lot as a kid. She's a devout Catholic, so these kids are going back and forth between the violence that's being brought into their lives by the Trejo men. And constantly doing rosaries and praying with grandma. Like, that's their back and forth. 
His book opens with a story that really sets up their home life perfectly. After Danny and his, um, what he describes as his first gang, this group of girl cousins, they find uh, a cat. They call it a mutter cat because it's a mom. It has big nipples. <laughs> he like points out the big nipples. <laughs> Unfortunately, the cat is dead, so they search for the babies. Aww. They can't find them. I mean, she might have never given birth to them. I have no idea. So they're going to give this cat a very big funeral in the backyard. They built, they like dig a hole. They get out all the grandma's rosaries and Catholic kind of stuff. They say prayers. And of course, during this, the dad cuts off the funeral and he's like, if you guys don't get inside, I'm going to smack some asses. <gasps> so they like hurry up the funeral. They were going to do all these things. That's really sweet. They were going to have I a, know. a cat. It was just, they just found a dead cat. They just found a dead mutter cat. Uh, so it's not long before one of the uncles comes home saying he was jumped at a bar on San Fernando. And within seconds, all the uncles grab bats and sticks and are out the door. Oh shit. Now they're back shortly after bragging about how many people they fucked up. (laughs) The grandmother (laughs) sits all the children in a corner instructing them to pray while she lays into her sons for being macho degenerates. They're laughing, drinking beer. She's like screaming at them and the the kids are praying in the corner. In his book, Danny says, quote, looking back, you never would have guessed that every single one of us kids would eventually go to jail. (laughs) He's like, but we Trejos, if my family had a legacy, that was it. He then reflects on the irony of his beloved persona today saying, back in the day, no one would honor who I was back then. Uh, Back then, quote, I was the Mexican you didn't want to fuck with. (laughs) And that is sort of the funny thing about Danny Trejo. He's the sweetest guy, but he looks scary. Like, well, he's really made a name for himself in Hollywood playing these scary macho characters. Yeah. But in reality, he is like, I think he's the nicest guy in showbiz. Yeah. Now, Danny is incredibly close to his uncle, Gilbert, who is only six years older than him. When he's seven, his uncle took him on a ride, and that was like the best for Danny, like his cool older uncle taking him for a ride around the neighborhood. He's in charge of um, helping his uncle pass out these bags of leaves on this drive through the neighborhood. So it was pot. So at seven years old, Danny had assisted in his first drug deal. A year later, Gilbert and all of his friends are outside with a huge Bible. He asked his grandma what they were doing, and she proudly said they were reading the Bible and doing Bible studies together. When Danny goes outside to look, he sees that the Bible's open. They're all around the table with the Bible. What they're really doing is separating stems from leaves in a huge pile of pot right by the Bible. So the Bible study, Rachel, was just a ruse. Now... I just want to give Danny's exact exact description of the Bible since I thought it was really funny. Quote, it was read with gold leaf pages. Any Mexican family knows the Bible I'm talking about. It was the fanciest item in any Mexican household and was sold for $22 on a payment plan that was spread over five years. <laughs> I just picture this massive collectible Bible. Like, yeah, this totally. huge thing. Anyway, it wasn't long before the older boys were getting Danny high for the first time, and that was just a year later at the age of eight. So just pot at this point. After um, 
Uh, shortly after eight, another harrowing, harrowing story that Danny tells in the book is of a punishment his, his dad gave him. So this will give you an idea of what I was talking about, the parenting. He gets in trouble for some reason. He doesn't even remember what. His dad's drunk. They're at like a family barbecue in Tahanga Park. When Danny pisses him off, he locks Danny in the car with the windows rolled up in 100-degree uh, heat. So he forbids anyone in the family to help Danny as he sits in this car, like sweltering, basically. Everyone's too afraid to disobey the, the dad. He starts passing out, but refuses to protest because he didn't want his dad to know that the dad had won, <gasps> which was like very me. I've talked about this before, probably. I would suffer through because I didn't want anyone to know they got me. <laughs> Oh, it's so, Desi. I know it's so, it, I, when I was reading this, I was like, oh my God, that's so me. I didn't know other people did that. Finally, his uncle Gilbert, his hero, opens the door and gets him out. Danny's dad is obviously furious and he and Gilbert began beating the shit out of each other on top of the hood of the car. Danny gets out and gets hit somehow in the scuffle and just lays on the ground pretending to be knocked out. Danny's dad finally like wanders off drunkenly, and Gilbert gives him a wink. And at that point, Danny's like, I know my uncle has his back. Well, <laughs> Gilbert is not the best influence, but he did love his nephew. A few weeks later, Danny's grandpa is going off on Danny and Gilbert for being fuck-ups. Danny said even his dad was afraid of his grandpa. That's how scary the grandpa was. And the grandpa says that he's going to kill them. Now, Danny, Danny describes him waiting for the beating of his life to come. And he said, I puckered my asshole tight so I didn't shit myself. Because <laughs> that's how scared he was oh. of the upcoming beating. Oh, no. He looks over at his uncle. And his uncle's literally just sitting there barely awake, drooling and kind of out of it. The grandpa pulled Gilbert to his feet, and then he stormed out of the room. And that's when Danny knew Gilbert had a way to check out of all the chaos. And he was like, what's going on there? (laughs) His uncle's arrested a few few days later, comes back uh, from jail. Danny follows him because he's rushing to the bathroom for something. (laughs) He opens up the bathroom door. He sees his uncle with his grandpa's insulin needles out and a belt wrapped around his arm about to inject something. He threatens his uncle to give him some of that stuff or he's going to tell grandpa that he's using his insulin needles. Uh. So he helps Gilbert shoot up and then Gilbert shoots up Danny and Danny's like, I discovered a euphoria I had never felt before. And he describes this amazing experience. He wakes up, he doesn't even know when, later, completely soaking wet in the grandfather in the grandma's front yard, Gilbert smacking his face. He was wet because Gilbert had put him in the shower because he OD'd and he was trying to like revive him. And he's like, what, 11? He's 12. Holy and he's shit. already hooked on heroin. Like he's, he's in love with this thing. And he's already got his first OD out of the way, so I guess that's probably like, oh, I don't have to worry about that for a while. Well, yeah. Uh, so his first re- arrest I thought was pretty funny because surprisingly it's not drug-related. I mean, he might have been on drugs <laughs> when it happened. Him and his friend went out and they felt bad for some cows at a dairy farm. So they released the cows from the dairy farm. This is in Pacoima. It's not in the, the country. And cows were just roaming throughout Pacoima. <laughs> The dairy farms are under the jurisdiction of the FDA, so federal agents are involved in this case. That's not good for Danny and his friend. They literally get caught red-handed, and by that I mean they're covered in cow shit (laughs) from, like, their shoes up to, like, their (laughs) pant legs. So they got busted pretty hard. I think he just did maybe a little juvie for that or community service. 
Um, he did uh, end up finally in juvie at the age of 12 for another incident. And he said that at that time, he thought being a criminal was his only option. He said, I thought Mexicans were supposed to go to jail. Like, that's what happened to guys like me. A few years later, he goes to juvie for a longer stretch. This time, he's drunk off his ass. He gets into a fight. And now, normally, he is a good fighter. He started boxing by this point. His uncle was teaching him that. But he's really drunk. So even if you're a great fighter, when you're drunk, you're kind of unstable. He remembers his Uncle Gil had taught him something. you got to make people think you're fucking crazy (laughs) during a fight. Say something like, I'm going to... I'm going to hand your eyes to you, Holmes. You're gonna, you're, <laughs> that was the advice. You're going to carry your eyeball home in your pocket. So this is the advice the uncle gave him. Inspired by that, he grabs an empty wine bottle, breaks it across the guy's head, and stabbed the, stabbed the guy in the neck with the end of the bottle. Danny like, did? Stabbed the guy in the face with the neck. Yeah, like the with wine the with the jaggedy edge. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty fucked up to do and he is arrested shortly after when he arrives at the courthouse for his trial the two white boys he was fighting arrive in sailor uniforms when i wrote this down i put sailor suits and in my head i was like what were they trying to look like really good boys that's that's what i was thinking right (laughs) no i think it was more military like sailor they're like sail like navy uniforms right but i still think they were trying i know well they were definitely but 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 for some reason i pictured little shorts oh (laughs) like like, little little lord fauntleroy (laughs) yes sailor suits i was like that's weird (laughs) they're adults or almost the old judge he said was around for the sleepy lagoon case and the zoot suit riots and he was like I'm predicting this guy isn't a fan of Mexicans, and he was right. He was convicted of mayhem and sentenced to a fire camp, which is where they put people working fires, basically. And they were doing this to him. He's only a teenager here, and they were doing that. Unreal. Now, he's getting into so much trouble at this point. His family sends him to San Antonio to live with some very religious relatives, hoping a change of scenery would help Danny. The last straw for them was he got in trouble for kicking a kid's ass at school after the kid squirt ink on Danny in art class. Imagine doing that to Danny (laughs) Trejo, even as a teen. But even though he was in the sticks in San Antonio, like outside, he managed to find his way to where the action was, and his relatives quickly sent him back, unable to handle him. Look, I've always said, you can drop an alcoholic anywhere in the world we will find our people. Yes. Now, he's about 15 now. He's back in L.A., and he starts a business with his uncle selling heroin. Every weekend, they go to their dealer, Chewy's place, to pick up the heroin and then drive to the valley to sell it. Chewy, uh, Danny describes Chewy as like, if you look up heroin addict in the dictionary, there's a picture of Chewy. (laughs) So they would fill up these balloons with heroin, and they had this thing where... Gil would get the money and he'd signal to Danny across the park how many balloons to get. And Danny would put them in his mouth and give the guy, I don't know, what is that? Is that like a thing where you just look like you're coughing and shaking hands yeah, or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So that was like their little uh, setup. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Uncle Gil did teach him some good things. He taught him how to box, which definitely helps Danny throughout his prison life. He teaches him how to fish. And he teaches him how to pee right. So Danny, (laughs) I'm going to get into it. Danny 
grew up around all girls and thought that when you peed, you sat down on the toilet. Oh, there's nothing wrong with there's that. There's nothing wrong with that. But he went fishing with his uncle Gil. He said he had to go piss. And the uncle was like, go over there. The uncle sees Danny squatting and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Take a shit. <laughs> And Danny's like, no, I'm pissing. And he's like, boys piss standing up, you know, because this is the 50s. Like, yeah. So he teaches Danny how to piss standing up, and the rest is history. That's so cute. <laughs> it was really cute. I like that he's like being accused of sh- taking a shit. <laughs> a lot of shit content in this story. Now, halfway through 10th grade, he goes to Hollywood High School, his fifth school in a year. Danny describes himself as real put together. He said his favorite look was a yellow and white Sir Guy shirt. This is all a very 50s look with a matching vest and pleated khakis. And when he wore his Levi's, they had the iron Folsom cuffs, which is just like typical 50s looking. I looked it all up. Uh, He eventually falls in with a beautiful Italian girl named Barbara. And it is Barbara who warns him one day that he better get off the bench he's sitting on because the bench belongs to the Caballeros. Oh. Now... Danny quickly realized that the Caballeros is a gang of skinny white kids, and that pisses him off. (laughs) So the lead Caballero tells Danny, he comes over and he's like, you're going to get off that Caballero's bench or I'm going to take you off. Now, Danny gets triggered by this threat. He stands up on the bench and kicks the guy in the throat. (laughs) This guy immediately starts choking, and Danny says, take me off this bench now, bitch. (laughs) The next thing the guy yells out is, quote, like, just wait till after school, and then he calls him like a slur for a Mexican. Uh, I'm not going to say it. Now, Danny says it wasn't the slur that set him off. It was the idea of waiting till after school, because all these pussy high school kids won't do anything during school hours. (laughs) So he was like irked by this idiot. It's like, how about now? Like, you know, but he, uh, in during school, he lets his rage bill all day during school. And when the final bell rang, he goes outside ready and the caballeros are waiting for him. So I'm going to read this passage from the book because it's just too funny to uh, do in my own words. He says, I was ready to introduce them to a level of violence that wasn't even on their radar. (laughs) It was like a scene out of the movie Grease, except they were stuck in PG mode and I was rated X. As soon as the leader opened his mouth, I grabbed him by the neck and I took a chunk out of his face with my teeth. (laughs) People gasped. I saw two girls cover their face. No one in North Hollywood High School was ready for me. That caballero certainly wasn't. While the guy flailed around screaming, I jammed to Leonard's burger shop across the street, jumped the counter, grabbed a cleaver, and ran back out to the street. I was going to take out the whole school if I had to. Well, this is what Uncle Gilbert was saying. You got to fight you crazy. You got to act you, crazy. You got to fight crazy. Yeah. Leonard came running out of the restaurant with a cleaver of his own and took up a spot beside me. I like that he's friends with Leonard from the burger joint. Like Love That it. makes absolute sense. I faced off against a ring of what seemed like every kid at North Hollywood High. No one dared take a step toward me. And this is my new mantra, Rachel. That's the power of crazy. (laughs) That's the power of being willing to go to a place unimaginable to your foes. But that kind of power comes with a cost. By exercising it, you reveal to the world the only place you belong is a state penitentiary. (laughs) So he basically his lesson from Gilbert or like what Gilbert taught him was don't fight to gain respect. You fight to win like that's your only goal. Like by any means necessary. By any means necessary. So 
I just thought that story was so wild. As the 60s goes, you know, rolls around, Danny adds cocaine to his mix of drugs and pretty much spends the 60s in and out of jail and prison. He does time in various juvenile camps um, throughout the the like throughout the city. He uh, follows that by pretty much every California prison. He's in the mall. He's in San Quentin, Folsom, Soledad, Vacaville, Susanville, Ciara. Like he hits them all. Wow. Now, while doing a stint in L.A. County Jail in 1961, a dirty, greasy, scrawny white boy who was so poor he didn't even have a belt, just a string holding up his pants, was being threatened by some inmates and approaches Danny and his two pals for protection. They let him clean their cell for them since he didn't have any money. This was the young Charles Manson. Oh. Yes, Danny says he never grasped, Charles didn't grasp like the prison gang and hierarchy and all of that stuff. So he wasn't surprised. Uh, he was, wasn't surprised when he moved to the height and created his gang. He adds that if he had tried that shit in East LA, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been at the helm of shit. <laughs> like, uh, so he found his place. Now, when they're all struggling without drugs, Charles tells them that he can hypnotize them and get them high, leading them through a guided meditation, telling them their body would remember what it was like to roll a joint and to smoke it. Now, these guys are like, whoa, shit, it worked. Like, they're blown away. So they're like, we want to try heroin next. And Charles is like, well, that's going to take a lot more work. Um, So Danny describes... uh, his meditation with Charles doing heroin, like pretending to do heroin. He's like, I could taste it in my mouth. I could feel it enter my bloodstream. And he says, if Charles wasn't a career criminal, he could have been a talented hypnotist, but alas, alas, that's not the path he chose. Now in 1962, he is out, of jail briefly and he meets a hot red-haired girl through his drug bud Frank named Laura and they are immediately inseparable. Her parents hate Mexicans and convicts and Danny <laughs> checks both of those boxes. So they kick Laura out for dating him and they get married. They have a wedding that sound really fun. They had beer, tacos and tamales at Love their it. wedding. So Danny then gets a job working for a famous developer named Saul Pick. He works on the creation of the first concrete geodesic roof, the uh, Cinerama Dome. He, he built that. Are you serious? He's like on that crew like that helped put that together. Holy yeah. shit. I know. Of course, he also sold drugs to his co-workers. <laughs> he hasn't cleaned his act up completely. But obviously the marriage is strained. Uh, Laura comes home from work one day and she finds her house completely trashed. And on the sofa, completely drugged out, are two naked women named Rita and Donna. (gasps) (laughs) Fucking Donna. Not Rita and Donna. Dude, I just know these women. Rita and Donna. Danny said something I thought was very insightful about this incident. He said, the bad boy appeal diminishes when the boy is actually just bad. Yeah. (laughs) That was, like, I thought really true. Like It's just bad behavior. Yeah. So... She's like at her limit with this guy, obviously. Anyone would be. She's working her ass off and coming home to this shit. Uh, He soon gets arrested again for drugs, and he is served divorce papers in jail. Danny says he used the papers to keep score on during a game of dominoes in an act of bullshit bravado. Like Mm. He's like, I don't fucking care. But he did care. Now, 
When he gets out of Soledad State Prison in 1965, that old drug pal who introduced him to Laura, Frank, tells him about a 12-step program he's been doing to get clean. He convinces Danny to go by, by telling him that there are broads there. Well, so, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. So Danny arrives, and his quote is, he said, well, there were two women there, 200-year-old women, and I'm going to kick Frank's ass. <laughs> He thought it was going to be like a hot, hot party. You know what? Town. That I mean, is, it can be. I well, guess it, that, but that is a classic move that Frank did: is 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 convincing your friend to come with you to a twelve step meeting because there's there's going to be dick or pussy. There. Yeah, anything to get them there. Right. Yeah. So he also asked Frank about Laura, how she's doing, and he he uh, does start going to meetings. At this point, he's like, "Should I make amends to Laura?" And Frank tells Danny, the best amends you could do for her is to leave her the fuck alone. <laughs> so the day before he gets his 30-day chip, so he's gone 29 days now, he gets mad listening to someone's story in a meeting. He doesn't like it. <laughs> he's thinking, that's not me. He's like listening to an older guy who has been off alcohol for 50 years, and he doesn't like seeing himself in this guy. So he immediately leaves the meeting and goes to drink wine in a dark alley, and he's back on his bullshit. Uh, is that a typical thing? Classic move. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you're, and you know what it is? You're looking for things to, to relapse over. Right. You're like, that's, I'm not that guy. He's yeah. sad and pathetic. That's not me. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, you're in the same place. So soon he hooks up with another drug bud, a guy named Dennis, who he describes as Chester to his spike. That that's a famous cartoon from like the fifties with a little yapping dog who's who's like worshiping the macho bulldog or the bigger dog, and he's just like, "Hey Spike, hey Spike." Hey. Yeah. So that was Dennis. His descriptions are really <laughs> funny, and I like knew them all exactly, like what he was talking about. Um, so Dennis comes to Danny one day, and he's like, "I have this deal. It's a too good to be true heroin deal where it's like." I don't remember the numbers, but it's like $1,500 an ounce. Like some insane where Danny's like, uh, that seems uh, too good to be true or that's suspicious to him. But he goes along with it. They don't even have heroin. They fucking fill the balloons with sugar. No. Then they go to do the exchange and this guy pulls up in a car and Danny immediately senses that something is off. The guy's handing him the money and Danny's like, this is a setup. There's no way this is not a setup. So he refuses to take the money Danny, uh, Dennis is like, take the money. Come on, grab it, grab it. And he eventually takes the money and then they get out of there. Now, Danny immediately takes his cut and goes to a, a diner where he has a friend working and he changes the bills because they're obviously marked, right? By the time he gets home, the agents are there busting him. Fuck. And they're furious because they're like, where's this? They know it's not their money. So they can't prove anything really because it's not the same bills. They're yelling at him about the money. Where's the right money? Where's the right money? Danny says like throughout his prison life after this incident, he has nightmares about being busted and that he hears that officer saying that and he always screams back, your mom has it, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But he did not say it in person. So he gets arrested regardless of the fact that they can't really prove anything yet. While he's in jail, he's visited by his birth mom, Dolores. (gasps) This is the first time he's met her in his life other than like before the age of three. And she brings his sister, who he's never met, named Diane. Now, growing up, I mentioned he had heard only horror stories about her mo- his mother, that she's this monster, 
Um, He thought she was awful, but here she was, the only person visiting him in jail after she read about his arrest in the paper. Danny says this, which I thought was so sweet. He said, I know this is hard to believe, but my mother was beautiful and she looked just like me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this was a very positive experience for him. It really gave him hope that he was going to get out of this jam because he wasn't really guilty. He didn't even sell heroin. It was just sugar. Unfortunately for him, Dennis flipped. He was too afraid of going to jail. Chester's not going to jail. He's too wimpy. And Danny was back. Uh, He chose to do one of those firefighting camps again, which I guess you can choose over going to prison. Unfortunately, during a firefight that they were dealing with, he busted a guy's face with a dustpan and was off to what he describes as the Harvard of State Prisons, San Quentin. (gasps) Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff. And I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Now, it was pretty hard to scare Danny Trejo, but San Quentin, according to him, took his breath away. He said that he could taste the tension of the prison in his mouth. He compared it, compared it to the bitter sting of a cold copper penny on his tongue. It's the same taste he could smell in his breath and his opponents before a fight. And he says it's a manifestation of all the anger, all the hate and fear coming up. It almost makes you want to throw up. Uh, years of going through in and out of prison, he had this real predator or prey mode. Um, he said the minute you get comfortable with the tension, you have become a sociopath. So he still had discomfort, which is good, yeah. right? He, you know, goes on solitary a lot. A lot of times when you first go in, you're just there initially till they figure things out. He said that you can come become a sociopath in prison. It's very easy. And he thinks at that time I just had stopped caring. Like I wasn't a sociopath yet. He recalls seeing the green light by the North cell block, which is death row. And like the light on top of it's like red when there's nothing happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. No, it's green when nothing is happening. There's a tall chimney there and the gas chamber, when it's in use, the light turns red and every prisoner just basically sees that. And it's just this fucking That's chilling. Awful. It's like a chilling place to be. Obviously first night that he is there, he sends a kite, which is like a pres- prison message um, to an old friend who was also at San Quentin named Tyrone. Now, Tyrone is a Mexican friend of his whose mother named him after Tyrone Power. (laughs) No way. Yeah, that was his name. He was named after Tyrone Power. Now, he he sends the, the kite that says, don't leave me in my cell with just my dick in my hand. He wants a shank, right? He needs to protect himself. He said the first night he only got one hour of sleep because he heard screams of men throughout the night. And he was like, he according to him, he didn't know, like, were they being injured? Were they being raped? It was just horrifying, these screams that he heard all night. He said to himself that night, you're going to die here. Now, he did not end up dying there, obviously, but death was all around. Suicides were happening. People would literally just be stabbed to death when he was walking past them in the yard. And the condemned would just walk through the halls and everyone would see them. And they would literally, they do say dead men walking. like, And so you hear that and see this. So death is just all around. Uh, making everything even more chilling is how cold and mildewy it is there. This is right on the San Francisco Bay. Uh, we've passed it both numerous times. Uh, yeah, in it's in lives, Marin yeah. County. Uh, so yeah, it's right there. It's very cold. Now, once he thought that he got stabbed in the yard, but he had just been hit with blood. But when he uh, got stabbed, <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but it is very dark, but they're all laughing. He said, I got hit. I got hit. And everyone's like, you, you know, pussy, you just got blood on you from the other thing. But that became, they were all laughing so hard, crying, laughing when he thought he got hit. And then that became a taunt that everyone did for him. Like what he's like, I was reading a look magazine one time and someone just came up to me and said in like a, a girlish voice, I got hit. hit." So that was his cross to bear at San Quentin, which I guess might not be the worst one. He also uh, starts 
he has like a little business going eventually. Like he really makes his way there. He becomes a debt collector. He does drug deals. He's also focusing on his boxing there. And he becomes um, the lightweight and welterweight division champion at San Quentin. Now he suggests in his book that his physical appearance might have contributed to the fact that he was so quick to prove how tough he was. He's a really small guy. He's 5'6". And then he had... um, he had some like acne, so he has a lot like all of the scars on his face. They're from like acne, so he had that to deal with as well. And he think that made him even tougher, according to him. He had, a lot of the scars on his face too are due to boxing. Mm. He has a lot of cuts from that, so he thinks that that sort of contributed to his need to kind of prove something. But I think a lot is going on here, for sure. Now, he starts to get comfy at San Quentin, and they don't like that in prison. So they decide to, they're going to ship him over to Folsom. Uh, before he leaves, he gets his infamous hot charas, the, one, the tattoo that's sprawled on his chest. Now, charas are the Mexican women who fought alongside Pancho Villa. Uh, so he gets this tattoo from a man named Harry Superjew Ross. And this guy becomes a world-famous tattoo artist later on. Yeah. Do you know him? I've heard of him before. Okay. that's where He meets this guy in prison. Now, when he gets transferred to Folsom, Harry is like, I don't let anyone touch your tattoo because I'm coming to Folsom soon and I'll finish the shading. Because <laughs> he hadn't finished the shading. He Amazing. had just done like, the outline. Now, Danny says... He initially thought he was in for 10 years, and that's why his tattoo is so big. He's like, if I had known it was only four years, I would have gotten a small one. Because <laughs> it's a big tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Harry does eventually move on to Folsom, and he does finish that shading. But just as the shading is almost finished, Danny is transferred again to Soledad. Now, he starts up a racket here as well. His racket is tricking guys to give him protection money. So when a new guy comes in, Danny will go up to them like, hey, how's it going? Everything fine here? And the guy's like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm working my way work. And Danny's like, let me know if you get in any trouble. Then Danny creates some trouble for them. <laughs> so he has these four black guys working for him, and he gives them a cut of the protection money. These guys, I mean, this is sick, but this is probably prison. They find that guy, the new guy, in the showers and surround him with erections. <laughs> and that's the, then the guy's like, I'll give you money, like anything, protect me. Oh my God. So that's God. his scam. He does that to every new guy who comes into prison. And I mean, the, the, the people who work at the prison basically like it because he's kind of protecting these vulnerable people and he's never, he never did anything to them. He just like scares them into finally paying him. And then these guys make a cut too. So they're all happy about it. Now he also has a heroin racket going. He's doing boxing. He's working at the gym. All is going well until Cinco de Mayo, 1968. According to Danny, obviously we all know this or a lot of us know this, the date... The May 5th date is nothing to do with Mexican Independence Day. To Mexican-Americans, Danny says, it's just nothing. It basically means in his community, get bail money ready. (laughs) Because now it's just about partying and getting drunk and and whatever. But he says, luckily I'm in jail, so I didn't need to worry about bail money here. I just needed to worry about getting wasted. 
Now, these guys are ready to party. They're in prison. They spend weeks building up for this. Danny runs the boxing gym, which is right next to the loading docks. And he has been piling up drugs and alcohol, as well as women's panties and makeup, if that was your thing. Like, he wants everyone to have a good time that day. Now, they even have a connection with the kitchen, and they get Pruno supplies. I can't remember if we discussed this, but I'm obsessed with Pruno. I want to know everything about how you make it and all the different versions. There's so many techniques. Well, this is Danny's technique. He gets raisins, oranges, sugar, and yeast. The guys dump them all into trash bags, twist them tight, and wrap them in t-shirts, and then store them in heating vents until they're ready. Then they strain the liquid through tube socks, and they have their uh, pruno. Now, they start partying on the 4th. So they're partying all day and night on the 4th. They wake up still drunk on the 5th, and then they start partying some more. So it's the morning of the 5th when the prison officials announce a special thing for Cinco de Mayo. They are bringing in a local junior college baseball team to play an exhibition game. (laughs) (laughs) Danny declares bringing a group of civilians into prison on Cinco de Mayo to be the stupidest fucking thing you could ever do. The inmates are all wasted, and because of the civilian presence, extra armed guards and security are brought in. Oh, no. So they're all sitting at this game fucking wasted. Danny describes himself sitting on the bleachers in the hot sun, and he's like, the Pruno was just not sitting right. (laughs) Like, he's sitting there. They're all fucked up. He also said that he felt a real simmering of violence on the horizon. When his friend Ray starts harassing the third baseman, he's like, hey, throw me some gum, throw me some gum, which is like a highly prized thing in prison, I guess, or was then. The ball player says to Ray, we were instructed not to speak to any inmates. (laughs) (laughs) And this sets Ray off even more. He's like, what are you too good to talk to me? Like, whatever, that kind of stuff. Danny tries to calm Ray down by telling him the kid knows karate. (laughs) That incites Ray more because he's like, I'll fuck him up. I don't care if he knows karate. Then Danny says, well, they actually have a special sniper aiming right by that kid. So don't fucking go over there or you'll get shot. That works Ray up more. Ray is worked up. Now, this is the third bass player, as I mentioned. And Danny says that every inning he drifts closer and closer to second until finally the shortstop, second baseman, and third baseman are all huddled together around second. Danny has to piss, and he's really reluctant to leave Ray, obviously, because he's the only one keeping him in some control. He goes piss. He's, like, rushing to get back to his seat. As he's rushing back to his seat, he sees Ray leap out of the stands and punches the third baseman in the (gasps) face. All hell breaks loose at that moment. Danny compares it to the moment in The Omen when all the baboons go crazy from Damien's presence. Right. He's, like, in the car or whatever. Now... In this situation, Danny says for like prisoners, everyone, no one lets fear enter their system. They just let the rage take over. And these people are all pent up fucking rage. Like prison is not conducive to healing. Like, I mean, no. So he says the riot was pretty much instantaneously survive and also take this opportunity to go after your enemies. Right. Like, that's basically what's happening. He said he entered the fray. Uh, he said he saw what he described as the sissies run off the field. He clarifies, like, that that was not a disparaging remark <laughs> against homosexuals, that that's what they were called, and that the gay population was a valued uh, group in the pen. <laughs> Thanks, I just liked his clarification. <laughs> 
Um, once the riot is under control, three men get singled out, and that's Ray, obviously, Trejo, and another guy named Henry. Trejo is accused of throwing a rock that hit a guard in the head. He claims that he was just throwing a rock, and the the guy's head got in the way. I mean, it can happen. Uh, The guy, Henry, had kicked the baseball coach in the ball so hard they ruptured. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but I was too scared to look it up. Yeah, no. Uh, these are all capital crimes. So, I mean, these guys, they're wailing on, like, the civilians who came into the prison. Yeah. <laughs> they're capital crimes. They could get the death penalty. I mean, that's what he thinks at the time. I don't know if that's true, but he that's what they all think. They're like, we're dead. We're getting right. the death penalty. Right. So he sent a solitary uh, in the meantime. Now, in the book, he said that he was thinking about the movie uh, Angels with Dirty Faces with James Cagney and how Cagney was like a tough guy who was like, come and get me, coppers. And then on his way to the electric chair, he weeps and begs for mercy. The next day, the gang reads in the newspaper that he died a yellow-bellied coward. And Danny took the message don't be a little bitch when you die. (laughs) That was his message. Now, he speaks eloquently in his book about how movies would save him during his time in solitary, not just this time in Soledad, but throughout his years in prison. When nothing, you have nothing to do and there's no contact with others, he would play complete movies out in his head to pass the time. The two he returned to over and over were The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Charles Lawton, our old friend, and The Wizard of Oz. He remembered... Uh, feeling how excited he was when he would remember a new detail in the movie when he would redo it. I thought that was really sweet. When guards would tell him to shut the fuck up when he was doing this movie because he would say the lines. Like, he would would yell back a line from, like, whatever he was doing. Like, if it was the hunchback, he would say, water, she gave me water. (laughs) He'd even play Dorothy saying the lines like, Emerald City, it's beautiful, isn't it? He really must be a wonderful wizard to live in a city like that. Like he would say, he would play Dorothy. He describes this as his first acting school, although he said he had been acting his whole life, acting like he was not afraid as a kid and acting like he was tough in prison when he was scared. In solitary, Danny also had a had like a spiritual experience when he first heard the song Hey Jude. He just thought it was like powerful and the musical equivalent of a prison riot. It really like sparked something in him. Now, a gay guy named, or that they called Bambi, was in a cell next to him, and he was well-known for writing love letters, which were basically dirty erotica, for the other inmates to jerk off to. Danny asked for one, and Bambi sent it over to him, and it was written on a religious comic. The sex act was so filthy, Danny said, it didn't sit right with me. (laughs) I never, I was like, what is it? Tell it. Just tell us for, like, context. He started reading the comic instead. Now, the comic was called Joe's Woes, and it was about a man struggling with alcohol addiction. He was reminded of the time he accidentally burst into a meeting with a case of alcohol looking for a party. Uh, he, he, it was a 12-step group called We Care, and the man who was in charge spoke to him saying maybe bursting in wasn't an accident and he should stay. He told Danny his addiction would only lead to three things, jails, institutions, and death, a mantra that hit Danny anytime he fucked up while high. And although he didn't hear the man then, he was hearing him now, finally. Now, as I mentioned, he grew up in a very Catholic, or at least his grandmother was very Catholic, uh, you know, household. He had struggled to understand her, her devotion his whole life. But as he sat there in the cell, 
on the wall written in shit was God sucks. <laughs> wow. But he, it inspired him to strike up a conversation with God because it was the only thing he felt he had left to try. Honestly, that's really powerful. Yeah. Now he said he didn't agree that God sucked. He didn't blame God for where he was. He knew it was all of his own choices that led him where he was at that moment. He said, I made a deal. I told him, let me die with dignity. You don't need to get me out of this. I know what I've done. Just let me die with dignity and I'll say your name every day. I'll do whatever I can for my fellow man. Now, Danny knew his only hope was giving service to others to save himself. He says that the old Danny died in his cell that day and the new Danny was born. He is released from solitary and went clean almost immediately, choosing his sobriety date as August 23rd, which I realized is just two days ago. So it's like the anniversary of his sobriety. Happy birthday, Danny. Yeah. When Danny gets out, he gives up heroin dealing and he starts running the gym and he's offered a position that they basically make up for him called inmate social catalyst for $18 a month. So he's making a lot less money than he was dealing heroin. And that was basically being kind of like someone who talks to the inmates and gets everyone to get along. He also becomes the chairman of the 12-step program they had at the jail um, that was in dire straits because they were about to lose their accreditation because no one was attending these meetings. And I guess you have to have a certain amount to keep it going. I'm not sure exactly what the rules were. Well, did they... Because they have people from... There's, like... They have people from outside come into the jails to lead meetings, but they also have meetings in the jails. Right. I don't know what exactly was. That was his explanation, but maybe they weren't going to have someone come in anymore because there weren't enough people. Is that possible? I have no idea. So to get the people to come in, he gets his his like henchmen who did the racket with him, he makes them come to the meetings now. <laughs> and they come to the meetings, uh, and he says that was one of his first wins because three of them stayed on and got sober, even though they joined just to help him yeah. uh, keep the accreditation. Now the meetings grew and grew, and more men started coming to Danny for help just outside of, even if they didn't have an alcohol problem. And he said that it became like, if Trejo is sober... That's cool. It made sobriety being cool in jail. Um, when he started getting negative, he said that his trick was to sing zippity Duda uh, every morning to put a smile on his face, and it worked. He, he says that that was his first attempt at morning prayer and meditation. He sang it every morning to make himself feel positive. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? And he said that the days of him waking up full of dread and anxiety were completely gone, and he had had that on his chest from when he was a small child. Now, eventually, um, no witnesses came forward to corroborate the claims against him. The charges were dropped, and he was paroled August 23, 1969, the one-year anniversary of his sobriety date. He was given a please don't rain on me suit. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a cheap suit. $200 and a Greyhound bus ticket back to the valley. He had no plans and no real prospects for the future, but he was determined to leave crime and drugs and alcohol behind him. He said he was felt like he was born again, and all of his friends who know him from way back when agree. He was a different person. He says at that moment, if a fortune teller had told him what the next 51 years of his life would be like, he would have said, fuck you, you're nuts. And we're going to get to that next week. Can't wait. That's the end of this uh, chapter here. I mean, just an incredible life. 
Seriously, and right? We're, and we're not even halfway there. He's like <laughs> in his 20s still. <laughs> He's yeah. like 70 something now. I mean, right. Yeah. It's Amazing. crazy. So, yeah, it's a good book. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So, uh, wow, Desi, that was that was great. I'm really uh, excited to hear part two. Yeah. So we'll get into the 70s. A lot. A lot of shit happens there. Danny is not done growing. He's he doesn't get off of he stays sober, but he has some demons to deal with still. Of course. Yeah. So we'll go through his uh, process of getting back on track, and then we'll get into his Hollywood stuff. A lot of the messy stuff comes out when you're. When you get yeah, you sober, have to start dealing with that stuff. You gotta deal with all this yeah. shit. Yeah, so we'll get to that, and we'll get to the Hollywood uh, stories as well. Nice, hopefully. I can't uh, wait. Yeah, we'll okay. post pictures. That we will post pictures. Yes, so and go to Instagram. We're gonna do our after show now for Patreon. If you want to hear what we talk about after the show. Oh yeah, and thank you to everyone showed who showed up last night to the live show. It was really uh, fun. Oh yeah, to see everyone. It was a good show last night. Um, okay, great. Okay, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. 